Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining this on this wonderful Monday morning edition of the podcast. However, Maxwell, it is not Monday morning or even Sunday mm-hmm. night when we're recording this. We're, we're getting in a little bit early. We're actually recording this on early entry withdrawal deadline night. So yeah. it is it is 848 Eastern time as we're recording this. So there are still about three hours left for prospects to withdraw their name and maintain their eligibility to go back to school, go in the transfer portal. If you're Jalen Bridges out of Baylor, possibly go play in the next stars program for the NBL. There's a lot of options for these guys on the table because of name, image, and likeness. So we want to make sure that we're staying up to date with some of those names. And that's why Maxwell is going to mm-hmm. keep track of everything going on on social media. If there are any big announcements, of course, we will react to them during this podcast. But for sure, we're going to have to. Um, we're we're going to have to. Yeah, we don't we don't have too much of a choice. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited to be doing this. We got more lottery action coming your way. Some of the top teams, some of the top dogs, which I think we have a really fun opportunity because I think a couple of these picks are they might go a little bit chalk as far as what people expect us to yep. do, but a lot of these teams have multiple picks, which opens up the door for some really fun kind of team building conversations for later on uh, as we get deeper into each of these teams. Absolutely. So as Maxwell alluded to, we are finishing up our lottery team preview series, hammering home the top four teams with picks in the 2023 NBA draft. So that would be the San Antonio Spurs at number one overall, the Charlotte Hornets at number two overall, the Portland Trailblazers at number three overall, and then lastly, the Houston Rockets with the fourth overall pick. And as we do in draft deeper fashion, of course, when we talk about a specific team, we will hit on their major storyline with their top lottery pick, and then we will go through their other options at their other respective picks, be that multiple second-round picks, multiple first-round picks. The Charlotte Hornets have five draft picks, which mm-hmm. I'm not sure we're going to discuss every one of those picks at length because I feel like there's no possible way given how many roster slots are already occupied. They're probably going to make all of those picks, but we will go over some targets in the second round for them. Nevertheless. So Maxwell, are you excited? You ready to kick this podcast off? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to get into this one. So we're going to start at the very top. Number one, mm-hmm. the San Antonio Spurs. So they were the lucky winners of the lottery. They have essentially won the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. And I know that we technically do not have the pick in on draft night, but I think it's safe to assume that Victor Wembanyama is going to be that number one overall player. And, and boy, does he deserve that number one overall selection, Maxwell. We, we didn't talk about him, I would say, too much on the draft deeper podcast this year. Cause I feel like we, we got a lot of that conversation out of the way early. We did revisit him a few times. We've obviously had to discuss him when talking about who could move up in the lottery and, and what does it look like if a team drafts for Victor Wembanyama. But I, I feel like 
we did a good job at covering the draft at large while saving some opportunity for a podcast like this to talk about Victor Womanyama's strengths, weaknesses, and how he can fit in with the team who's actually projected to get him, not just speculating if this team lands this pick, how does he affect this team? We can now talk about how he fits with the San Antonio Spurs. So when when we were live at no ceilings on our playback stream, watching the lottery, we were all kind of, you know, jumping up and down, excited when we saw that the San Antonio Spurs got the number one overall pick because we just, we knew who was finally going to get Victor. I think that's what was driving all the excitement. But your first thoughts that came into your head with, around Victor Womanyama going to the Spurs when you heard that was going to be the destination with who got the first overall pick. Yeah, uh, first thing I thought about is I'm very excited about him and Jeremy Suhan playing basketball yes. together. Like yes. that was the first thing that went through my head as somebody who really enjoyed watching Suhan at Baylor and was very intrigued by some of the stuff his rookie year. And I think everyone was giving him flack about like the weird one hand free throw thing, but even that, it's like that just shows that this guy's willing to try stuff. Yes. Like this guy will do anything he can that he believes will give him a winning edge on a basketball court. And I think that. With Suhan, they're, you know, maybe a little undersized to to be playing five, but with Victor, it's like that's sort of where you want the four or five pairing to be, where you've got this additional length on the court to kind of bridge the gap for some of the things that Suhan might not be able to do physically. Um, while you've got somebody who's really willing to engage with that physicality to take some of that off of Victor's plate. Um, let him play the four, because yeah. I don't want him playing the five. Um, yeah, I, I thought that combination was fascinating. Um, I think having someone at one of those big spots who's going to space out the floor a little bit is going to work wonders for Malachi Branham, a guy yep. with really high on as a scorer and shot maker. Had some flashes as a rookie. Never had like one of those big stretches where it was like, all right, now now it's Malachi Branham time. Um, but yeah, it's still a guy that I, I really thoroughly believe in is, is a multidimensional NBA scorer. Um, they desperately need to improve upon the guard play. Um, yes, they do. Yeah, it's still just kind of odd in terms of like, size where it's like Keldon Johnson like almost plays like four sometimes and he's kind of small for that maybe a little bit better at the three the three-point volume was up for him uh which is a big part of like their early season run that they had this year was Keldon Johnson draining all those threes early on in the year got to you're working up to one of the brightest names that they have on the on the depth chart yep yeah so Devin Vassell having uh yep. having the year that he had really growing as a score and really stretching the floor like they now they may lack shooting in some capacities, right? Like Trey Jones is not a guy who is a, a lethal three-point shooter. Um, Jeremy Suhan is not there yet as a jump shooter. But just by getting a, a big like Victor, it really is going to kind of ease the tension for a lot of these players and open things up for their guys who love to slash and love to get downhill. And and to that last point, isn't Victor Womanyama sort of like the perfect bailout player for some of these guys? Like, right. If like the offense yeah. breaks down and you need to get the ball to somebody, why not get it to someone like Victor playing at the elbow, able to shoot a mid-range jumper over virtually anyone else he's going up against, right? Like that shot's so bread and butter for him. We're seeing it even for Met 92 and in, in some of these playoff games, it seems to be one of those go-to shots for Victor. It, it's, it's not just him finishing around the basket it's not just him getting easy dunks in transition. It's not just some of the corner threes and, and, and some of the threes at the top of the court, you know, being a trailer that he's able to get. It's what you can do with him in the mid-range, right? Working out of those short roll situations. The threat of him scoring the basketball, to me, just opens up so much for some of these other guys who have proven that they can be good cutters, right? You know, as Victor Womanyama 
ultimately gets more accustomed with the speed of the NBA game and how to read certain defenses and certain coverages, he'll be able to find some of those guys going backdoor like a Devin Vassell or a Kellen Johnson. He'll be able to find Malachi Brandon for open threes on the wing. There, There's so many different ways in which you can utilize them, but I do think there's two pieces to me that stick out in terms of what should the Spurs do around Victor Wembanyama. And it's some of what I wrote for my column at No Stillings. If anyone did not get the chance to go check that out, I wrote about some of the top lottery questions and scenarios, specifically breaking down the top four teams in this exercise, which is exactly what we're doing tonight on this episode. But two spots I really think they need to improve upon. You mentioned one of them, the guard spot, right? Point guard. They need to bring in some sort of upgrade at that position. Not that Trey Jones is a mm-hmm. bad player. Not that Malachi Branham can grow into more of a, a lead ball handler type role. But I think in the short term, you need someone who can get Victor Wembanyama the ball in his spots, right? That That's the type of yeah. presence that he needs. The other question I want to ask you before we break into some ideas for the point guard spot. You mentioned Jeremy Sohan as an ideal frontcourt partner for him, which I 100% agree with. Is that the long-term play, though? Or do you think in the short term, maybe they go with putting another true big next to him to sort of take some of the burden off of him playing the five more? Like like putting Zach Collins in the lineup next to him yeah, or finding another That's veteran fine. big man on the free agent market? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's absolutely worth exploring. Um, it stinks because it's probably going to like eat into some of Suhan's developmental time to a point. Like this guy got yeah. fifty three games last year, but I don't know. You got to Victor. Victor is the guy. You got to accommodate Victor. Uh, unfortunately, like, that's just the way that it that it works for Suhan. But yeah, it or just, it, it, it is the is spacing is. with Victor and two of those other wing slash guard options enough where if you play a true big, you can have point Sohan running the show and now we're talking about some incredibly experimental offense kind of like what we saw in in some of those games for the san antonio spurs when sohan was able to take control of the ball and make plays it enabled him to sort of play to his strengths and get downhill more often and and open up driving lanes and and create different windows in which he can operate within the flow of the offense and play up to his potential that we saw baylor because point sohan at baylor that's exactly why he flew up boards and sort of pushed himself into the lottery conversation was because when people saw what he could do with the ball in his hands, now some of those questions about how he spaced the floor went away. Now some of those questions went away about how he's not impacting the game offensively if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. He was proving that he's someone who can grow into more of a playmaker type role. And so do you, does this allow you because of how Victor's projected to space the floor, does this allow you to get a little bit more experimental and play more lineups with points. Sohan. I think it's definitely a possibility. I, okay. I, I don't know that it's something that I would be like prioritizing, I would agree. but I think if it's one of those situations where maybe it's a back to back, maybe you've just got a bunch of injuries. I think it's something that you threw out for a little bit and okay. just kind of see how it goes, but it's not like, Hey, I'm coming into the year and like, this is what we're going to do on offense. But you mentioned like the getting like an experienced table setter kind of thing are there guards that you are targeting or that you view as a priority? Cause this upcoming free agent class in general, isn't like super tantalizing. Is there anybody that's like jumped out to you that you're like, I'd love this guy here. So there, there are a few options that we can discuss. There's also been the word on the street, that the San Antonio Spurs could trade up in the first round and possibly target another guard in that late lottery or mid first round range. So 
you can bring in someone like that to grow with Victor Wembanyama. Or there's three names in particular that I would look at to possibly compliment him, where you don't have to pay them oodles and oodles of money, except for maybe the last guy you got to throw a hefty mm-hmm. offer sheet at him. But so Fred Van Vliet is likely to be an unrestricted free agent. You have someone like Gabe Vincent, where you would think Miami would bring him back, but if the price tag becomes too to. much, you 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 don't know. You you don't know these days. Just how much are you? Work. How much are you paying Gabe Vincent though? Like I, I guess like the, your your clock on when you have to pay a lot of these young guys isn't starting for a while, but like how much or how far are you willing to go to to make the Miami Heat say we're going to lose Gabe Vincent? I I don't have a firm offer in my head in terms of the the annual value of a contract. I mean, you you have to think just given where the cap's going, you have to think he's probably going to get somewhere in like the 10 to $15 million a year range, yeah. given what he did in the playoffs at least. Right. So the, the question becomes the heat still have Tyler hero on the roster. If they don't move Tyler hero, Tyler hero is becoming less and less fascinating by the day. If he's not your point guard, like if, if he's, if mm-hmm. he's your answer at the two guard and you're asking him to play and, and defend other wings, which he hasn't shown the ability to be able to do at the NBA level, and you're you're slotting him into less of a playmaking role, more of a microwave scoring role. They're getting that type of production from other cheaper guys on the roster, and they've been this entire playoff stretch. So unless you are developing him to be your lead guard of the future, his value is is decreasing by the day, and it's decreasing to the point where I don't necessarily agree with this line of thinking. But people are calling for him to not even play in the finals, right? Like you have a good thing mm-hmm. going with Miami. Why would you break up the chemistry to potentially reintroduce someone who isn't doing much more for you, given what he's being asked to, than just be a, a potentially high volume shot maker or, or high volume, low percentage shot maker, given some of Tyler Hero's previous performances. So that to me is, is the biggest question. Like what, what, what is your future with Tyler Hero to essentially determine what type of contract you're willing to throw at Vincent? I do think they're going to bring Vincent back. But if you're a team like San Antonio or Utah, we could even throw the Utah Jazz in that equation because they're going to be looking for a point guard. If you have some cap space, if you're, if you're essentially at a point where you have to spend up to a certain floor and, and bring in some veteran talent and you want the right guys in your system, why not go after someone like Gabe Vincent? Really, that, that's, all I'm, that's all I'm trying to throw into the win here. And then him, Van Vliet, and then do you also throw a heavy offer sheet at someone like Austin Reeves? Who is not yeah. your, your most traditional point guard, but someone who's proven, you know, especially scoring out of the pick and roll. He did that in spades for the Los Angeles Lakers this year. He did it in spades in the playoffs. His pace, his poise, his willingness to step up and, and make big shots. Victor's been thriving next to that type of guard, you know, in France this entire season, right? They brought in a number of guys, most recently Barry Brown, who have sort of played that Austin Reeves type role that he's had with the Lakers. And Victor sort of having that release valve in a sense of, hey, I can play pick and roll with this guy. If I get the ball and nothing's working for me, whether I'm trying to back somebody down, face somebody up, and I need to get the ball out to somebody else, I can get it back to this creator type guard like Reeves who will either go out and create his own shot or he is disciplined enough to move the ball to where it needs to go next to, to ultimately get a good shot w- within the late clock on the possession. So that, that to me is the value I think that Reeves would bring. He brings familiarity given what he's already played with this year in France. But out of those three options, Maxwell, 
Do any of them stand out to you? Because that's sort of, that's what we're looking at in this free agent class, other than just trying to throw potentially a stick of dynamite in there and, and, and introduce like a Russell Westbrook or D'Angelo Russell name, which I doubt they're going to do. So I do any of those yeah. three names stick out to you? Um, Reeves is probably the most interesting because I think that there's a way that he fits with the timeline. Yep. In a way that some of the others don't. Um, and I think that like he, yeah. Do I you throw enough money at Fred Van where... Vliet though to where the timeline becomes less and less in terms of like what he wants. And it's more so we're paying you the money you want. We want you to be a mentor to some of these guys. We want you to just get Victor up to speed in terms of how he needs to play in the NBA. It's interesting. Yeah. I think it's possible. I think it depends on what Fred Van Vliet wants and how much confidence you have in the rest of your young core. Like if you think Vassell or Suhan or Branham or one of those guys can be like a real good second option. Then I think Fred makes way more sense because then like, then you are viewing it as like, we're going. Um, but if you're not crazy about that, maybe you do not want to like take a step back. And like Austin Reeves is still a, a serious floor raiser at the same time. Like it's not like you're going to, you're going to bring in Austin Reeves and then be the worst team in the league again. You know what I mean? Like that's, that becomes yeah. a very talented roster at that point. Um, but yeah, Reeves just has, I don't know. He still has a little bit more appeal to me too, because like there's a little bit more versatility with what you can do with him. That if he's staying around for like a third contract after the second one and you get somebody else that's really good at the one spot, you can slide him to the two. Maybe Vassell gets strong enough that he's a three at that point. Like there's just a lot more optionality on the table with Reeves. If I were um, the Spurs or the Jazz, I'm 100% throwing the offer sheet at Austin Reeves because I. Yeah, you got to do it. You got to do it. I just don't think it's a guarantee he's going back to the Lakers. I think everyone expects them to match the offer sheet because of what he did in the playoffs, but timetables operate differently when you're working with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and there's the big fish of Kyrie Irving possibly out there, and there's just all there, there's all these fun options on the table for the Lakers to go out and get a veteran and, and use that money to sort of, hey, this is LeBron's last run. This is the last dance. We're going all in. But – if the Lakers were smart, of course, they're bringing back Reeves and, and they're, they're mm-hmm. swallowing what, whatever that's going to do for them in terms of putting them in, in a certain spot within, within the tax. The, of course, you're bringing him back. But again, exploring other options, you're throwing the offer sheet out there. You're seeing what happens. You're, you're letting the Lakers determine what's happening with Austin Reeves versus you withholding your offer sheet and trying to explore other options. If you can bring in someone like Austin Reeves, that sort of mutes any of the conversations in terms of trading up and, and grabbing a younger guard because Austin Reeves, to your point, he is youthful enough. He matches the timeline with the team, but now he's had, he's had experience fighting, you know, battles at Wichita state. He certainly fought his way on the Oklahoma roster. And now he's asserted himself into a legitimate situation with a team that just made the, the Western conference finals. So the, the, what, what Austin Reeves has done in a short amount of time is nothing short of spectacular. And that is the type of player that, that I would certainly want to explore adding to my roster. But if the San Antonio Spurs Maxwell would go a different direction at the guard spot and they feel like we got to bring someone else in here, we need something more than Trey Jones, Malachi Branham, Devin Vassell taking over some, some playmaking duties. If they went youthful and they traded up in the draft, is there any one guard in particular you would love for them to look at for pairing with Victor and some of the other core? Yeah. The first guy who comes to mind and I'm starting to worry is, is Casey Wallace. 
Okay. Um, I say I'm starting to worry because John Hollinger mentioned in an article for the athletic that like hey, there might be some medical flags to see yep. a back injury. That's not very common for young players. And all of a sudden it seems like all those mainstream boards where there's a lot more Intel uh, available to them seem to be kind of sliding case and Wallace down their boards. I still like case and Wallace a whole lot. If you mm-hmm. read my article this past week. So I think he is a nasty defender. I think if he if if the offensive upside does not turn around and he is a cog in the wheel, he will be a damn good cog in a wheel in any offense. But I do think that the way he gets to the rim, the way he can hit pull up shots in the mid range, what he showed as a shooter early in the year before the injuries, there's real like three level scoring potential here. And yep. while he takes great care of the ball, there's still areas where it's like pretty clear that he can develop even further as a passer. His placement is really good. He moves the ball quickly, but for a guy who gets downhill as much as he does, he doesn't really pass once he's downhill very much. Like he doesn't have those perimeter kickouts and and things like that to his game. That's something that can easily come along in time as he gets more and more comfortable. I love case and Wallace. I think that he there's worlds where he's a top 10 player in this class, which I think is becoming a bit more controversial to say is he is he is being, you know, dropped down boards. I'd I'd really like Casey Wallace. I think he's one of those guys that fits that model. If you count Kobe Bufkin as a point guard, I think what that brings... that's the name that I would suggest first on my personal mm-hmm. San Antonio Spurs board. Not that not that I wouldn't love if they could go get someone like Anthony Black or Amen Thompson and and absolutely like swing for the fences. But if you can't get up nearly as high to take one of those guys, seemingly projected to go within the top nine picks and you're looking for an option in that mid first round range, potentially late lottery. I think what Kobe Bufkin can bring to the table next to Victor Weminyama is exactly the type of guard we're looking at in Austin Reeves. He's, he's basically going to be asked to play the same role. Wouldn't, wouldn't you Mm -hmm. agree? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. And I think, I think with some of those other guards too, like they just don't bring the same kind of punch that he does. Mm-hmm. to the San Antonio team. Like it feels like he would inject something that they, that they don't have right now from the guard spot, especially with what he can do as a shooter. Where are you at on, on Jalen Huchfino these days? We were, we were once upon a time. I'm, I'm all over the place. I need to, I'm, I'm doing like a second round, like a film deep dives on the top of my board as we get closer here. Yep. And like JHS is such a tricky one. Cause I loved him preseason. Yep. Loved him during the season, had him around 15 kind of cooled a little bit as I got away from the film and started to look more at the numbers. I I'm not a big like numbers during the season guy, but I don't think that that invalidates some of the things I saw in film. And the big thing that you keep hearing out of these pro days is the athleticism. You keep hearing stuff about how athletic he is, how well he's moving and how teams can see potential in him because of his athleticism, which like at Indiana this year, he looked kind of stiff. I think he had like one dunk in the half court and that was about it. Um, the back block really rates, didn't really jump passing lanes at all. I, I think it might have just been the back, and that was kind of holding them up. And if the back is fine, then like I don't know, then he showed the growth as a shooter that you want. So if he's the mover that it looked like he could have been coming out of high school, then that's a lottery guy. Mm-hmm. Who, who so do you I'm feel better about for for the Spurs if they were to target? Do you feel better about? Kaysen Wallace, Kobe Buckin, or Jalen Huchfino? So Kaysen Wallace is the highest on my board right now. Okay. Um, Kaysen is, if I, like, without, me- if you're just saying you don't get to see the medicals, I'm going Kaysen, JHS, Buffkin. Wow. 
So you are but, moving. You're moving JHS back I up into moving, that conversation. I'm moving him back up. Yeah. The, in, the intel is good on on the movement, and if if that's if he, if that's there, like if he moves better than he did in Indiana, it's it's hard to pass him up. So our pal, our pal Stephen Gillespie, who is mm-hmm. not currently podcasting with us, but he will he will be back eventually. We will get to revisit where JHS goes in the draft in relation to his board. I believe he finished with JHS seventh yeah, on his board. He was very high and. If you ESPN had them like nine today and they're mock. They did. They out. did. They had Utah not even messing around. So it was, it was a, a popular projection for JHS to go to the jazz with the 16th pick. But now ESPN has him going at nine as in like, he's very well linked to the jazz at this point. He's someone that they could very much look to target. And if he's their guy, I, I kind of give props to if they would ultimately make that selection. Like if, if you have a guy that you know you want, why screw around and wait for him to possibly fall to, to get him at a quote-unquote better value? Why not just take your guy with the first pick that you have? That's something that I, I get you may get a little bit of blowback from the media or, or fans or, or other scouts the, the day after the draft, but if he's your guy and he works out for you in the way that you think he will – no one's going to give a crap about where you drafted him two, three, whatever years yeah. from now. So mm-hmm. I do agree. If, if they're really that high on him, go get your guy at nine, go get whoever that is, whether it's Anthony black, I guess. Well, you're referencing Gavoni's mock. I guess Anthony back went, went eighth to the wizards in that mock. But if, if it's JHS, go get him. If it's case and Wallace, go get him. If it's Kobe Bufkin, go get your guy. Yeah. He's, he's fascinating. I have him. And there is one more adjustment coming to my board just because of all the players who are staying in and, and, and who's ultimately going to be out and going back to college. There's one more adjustment going, even though all the homework is done on my board. I have him right now slotted at 22 because of some of the concerns that, that I've had. I'm at the point where I think he's going to have a rough transition to the NBA, but I think once we get past that rookie year and we get deeper into the sophomore year, into his third year, there could be a, like a really, really legitimate junior year breakout to where we're looking at him as like one of the next stars in the backcourt. And if you have the belief that that's even a possibility, I I kind of am talking myself out of having him that low, and I kind of have to move mm-hmm. him up by default, don't I? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I do agree with you, though. I think the shot diet is so tough that it's like guys, I mean, look at Johnny Davis this past year. You know what I mean? Yep. Like guys that, that try to shoot that kind of diet really tend to struggle earlier in their, in their NBA careers. Um, speaking of names going in the draft and pulling out, do you want three quick updates? I, I do want updates because I want to update my board yeah. in real time. So Chris Livingston in. Oh, baby. Okay. So do we want to reconsider Victor? Well, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> So, uh, okay. uh, Judah Mintz returning to Syracuse. Okay. And then expected that one, the guy that I think we both have top 60. I know I do. I have this guy pretty high. Uh, Zach Eady returning to Purdue. So Zach Eady was a guy that, that I was going to kind of suggest for this first in the second round. Is that traditional? would make a lot man? of sense. I think he would be, that would be unbelievable. Um, but anyway, Zach Eady is now going back to Purdue, so there's that. Um, but yeah, those are the three three big updates so far. That's that's fascinating about Chris Livingston. That 
that blows my mind. So Sam, Sam said that, uh, well, he tagged clutch in the tweet and said that he had a very strong pre-draft workout process. So, you know, the, the sources are, are right there. So I don't know. I, I don't see it with, uh, with Chris Livingston personally, as a guy that I'm going to get value out of if I'm, the team I'm him, but that's, that's exactly right. The team that's drafting him. Right. So I'm, I'm not out on him completely as a player no, who could become no, no, something in the NBA, but the only translatable skill he showed out of the box at Kentucky was that he could rebound on both ends of the floor. And while rebounding yeah, he's very tough, good physicality, like good size, as we've seen in the playoffs, you need guys who can go extend possessions for you and get those offensive rebounds mm-hmm. or box somebody out on the defensive glass and not let Derek white get a game winning layup. Like we've <laughs> yeah. seen that those types of players can be valuable in certain roles, but these other players that we can talk about in that same range or in that same context, they're bringing something more to the table than just rebounding. And boy, that shot making when it, when it was on, when his pull-up game is on, when his spot up game is on, it looks good, but he can have some stretches where he can't buy himself a bucket mm-hmm. to where it's, it, it's, it's a very risky proposition in terms of how do you get him on the floor right away? I think he's, he's locked in for a two-way contract. I think that'd be great for him. He's going to yeah, spend. I think he's a guy G. that's like, for sure. Yeah. Going to spend a year in the G and then go from there. And, and like, he's a guy I have not done a film drive on yet because I, it sort of seemed like he was intent on, on going in the way that he declared. Um, yeah. But he just hasn't really been that high of a priority. So he's a guy I'll, I'll probably get into in the next week. And maybe, I mean, with how thin the second round is looking, like maybe he even gets drafted at this point. Like I, I didn't have him in that range at any point this season, but with how thin the draft gets, maybe I go back, I look at the film. If I buy the shot a little bit, like like you mentioned, he's, he's very, very physical and he's got an NBA body and he moves like an NBA wing. So if, if, if I'm feeling frisky about the shot, like that's a guy that, yeah, maybe you talk yourself into him in the second. If you have the tools and you have a baseline level of feel, you can, you can get into my 45 to 60 range at mm-hmm. this point. When, when I'm yeah. going to sort out my board over the next few days, I will not give him a top 45 grade under any circumstance, but you can sneak into my 45 to 60. A- a- absolutely. That, that's kind of mm-hmm. where we're at. Speaking of second round targets, we need to speak about what can the San Antonio Spurs do at 33 and 44 if they keep those picks. And that is a massive if because the San Antonio Spurs do have a lot of players occupying roster spots. They have a number of guys who I don't necessarily see them moving off of to bring in more players at those spots. I think if they wanted to use one or possibly both of those picks along with maybe a few other future assets to move up and get a guard kind of like the scenario that we just got done talking about. Maybe that's a possibility, but let's, let's go with the assumption that they will do the, the necessary machinations as far as what with their roster to open up a few spots for them to actually make those second round picks. So Maxwell targets at 33, any names you want to throw out? Yeah. One guy who's like been in this range and a little bit lower that I do like here and does kind of address the point card situation a little bit is Marcus Sasser. Um, not the most traditional like point guard because he doesn't really drive to the basket very often. Um, but I think again, just another guy that's going to bring defensive intensity to this roster and is going to give you floor spacing on a team that needs it. Um, he's a really good understudy for someone like Trey Jones though. Right. I mean, that's, that's the type of guard you want him to be. If he, if he can evolve into a starter, like I think he can be great, but 
you know, in the short term, why not be an understudy to somebody like that? Yeah. And I think he's just one of those guys that like profiles well to postseason basketball because he's yes. like 44% off the catch. Like, even if Marcus Sasser doesn't become your starting point guard, he's a guy that like is going to be good and on your team for a long time if you want him to be. Um, so yeah, I think he, there's like a possibility that like he's just an injector role player type that you could possibly get right there. Yep. Um, I, honestly, like my target would be like any experienced guy that falls. Okay. Um, I have one of those that yeah, I wrote down as one of my three targets. I wrote mm-hmm. down Trace Jackson Davis because it seems yep. like that was the next guy I was going to bring up. He's probably going to be going in that 25 to 35 range. We, we mm-hmm. don't know. I, at this point, given some of the big men that have withdrawn, I would think he's going closer to 25 than 35. But again, we, we, we don't know. We don't know where teams are going to swing with those late first round picks. So if he would possibly be available at 33, I think he'd be a great target. Another name who I'm much more confident is going above 25 and will not slip to this range, but crazier things have happened on draft night. James Najee would be amazing It would be for this yep. Spurs team. Not just what he brings to the table, Maxwell, but we literally, I literally just got done talking about how they don't have a lot of roster spots to play around with. Is Najee potentially like a draft and stash guy? Like, is he definitively coming over? Next year, I'd lean towards yes, but I don't think we definitely know that answer. He's he's mm-hmm. he's with a team in Spain that I'm I'm off the top of my head. I'm not quite familiar with what his contract situation looks like, but some I of those buyouts no can get a little tricky if you're trying to get it done in the short term. So if anyone has any information when we post this podcast on Twitter, please feel free to comment it up and, and give us a little bit of education because I didn't have that information ready off the top of my head. But we don't know for sure, bottom line, if he would come over or not. And if the Spurs are looking at a stash option and he's still on the board, he would absolutely fill a need and he would provide them some of the flexibility that they kind of need already with the roster. And then one other name I'd throw in there, I don't know if you wrote him down for this spot or not. If they are looking at upgrading at the guard position or adding depth, you mentioned Marcus Sasser. How about Amari Bailey? Someone who, as of right now, we haven't heard his name crossed off the list yet. He's still technically... In the draft, I think he did a lot to a, a lot of good for himself at the combine. I think he understands how to play pick and roll basketball. I think the the outside shot is improving from a spot up standpoint, from a catch and shoot standpoint. If he's playing off the ball and next to another guard, I think he's someone who you give him a few years to grow within your system, and you're going to see more of the Amari Bailey we thought we were getting out of high school that we didn't get early on at UCLA, but we got him later in the Pac-12 season, and we got him in the NCAA tournament. And then again, as I mentioned, he really did show out well, given some of the other talent around him at the combine. So he's someone, if he's sitting there in the second round, I could absolutely see the Spurs target him with a 33rd pick. Yeah, I could too. Another guy that I kind of like that fits that guard mold as well, that I, I think is going to go like way higher than people think is Brandon Pajemski. Yes, Cause I think is. this is an ideal spot for him just because like a lot of the defensive stuff just sort of goes away um do we do you possibly explore trading into the back end of the first round oh absolutely get someone like i i I 100 would and i i think that i think that's a real possibility like there's all this trade up talk and it's like maybe they don't need to trade up that far right because so you have charlotte and indiana sitting there with multiple first round picks they're probably not making all of them so mm -hmm. you know how much? How much do you really need to blow them away with an offer to snag one of those picks? Right? Well, if a lot of like the in like both those teams, I think are going to be hunting size. Yeah, and if size isn't on the board at that point, like 
maybe they just take like Zach Collins in a, in a pick. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe. that's like, all right, cool. And then that's it. So yeah, I, I think that's uh that's definitely a real possibility. Um, I would, what do we think about, what do we think about CD Sissoko here? Cause he's the guy that's mocked in this range a lot. I gotta be honest when he was mocked at 40 on Gavoni's latest Intel mm-hmm. filled mock draft that dropped the day that we were recording this podcast. I was stunned. I, mm-hmm. I cannot believe that he could actually fall in the 30 to 40 range. I think if he makes it past 30, if, if I were running a franchise, I would be jumping at the bit to go do whatever I could. I love him up, on a non Move up to 31, contract. get, get yeah. the Pistons to let me move up to that pick and go take City Sissoko because he's he's the type of wing that gives you the depth that you want if you're San Antonio. He's defense first. He's one of the best live dribble passers, in my opinion, that we have in this class, regardless of position. So if you're confident that you have the resources in place to shore up that scoring package of his and make him a much more comfortable score off of the pull-up, you, you continue to iron out the spot-up shot, which in workouts, some of the video that we've seen is actually continuing to come along. If you can get somebody like that in the second round, Maxwell, oh my God, I'd be, I'd be all over it. And I think San mm-hmm. Antonio would as well. Yeah. So those were some targets at 33. Before we move on to our next team and then take a quick break, Targets at 44, we mentioned size. We mentioned not having a lot of roster flexibility. An interesting stash guy that showed out at the combine. We don't again, we don't know if this guy's coming over or not. Tristan Vucevic, if 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 Vuk is there, boy, would he certainly fit a lot of what San Antonio is probably going to want to continue to do as well, which is if they go get a more experienced big in the free agent market maybe having someone else who they can bring over in a year or two, or even if they do bring him over right away, he gives them a different wrinkle because he's a legitimate stretch big. He's opening up Mm -hmm. the floor for everyone else. That would be someone I can see him being available in that 35 to 45 range. And if he's on the board at 44 and the Spurs haven't taken a big man yet, absolutely. I, I could see that being a possibility. So let me throw another big man at you. A big guy that I've been feeling quite a bit lately. Okay. Um, after my last film dive, I was tweeting about him the other day. Muhammad Gay from Washington State is a guy I would really consider there. Not the not the polished shooter that Vukovic is, but he's got a a workable, um, believable three point stroke that he's that he's willing to take. Excellent mover for somebody his size. The defense is raw, but this is a guy that has basically played four years of competitive basketball coming into the draft grew immensely as a passer and handoff operator later in the season. Did you know that he had a 14% assist rate this past season at Washington state? There's some, there's some stuff there. He started to figure some things out. Um, plays with the real physicality really gets after it on the offensive glass. Um, offensive rebounding numbers were good. He's a lot more physically developed and tough than I had given him credit for before this last film dive. So when you have a guy who is big, has NBA size and plays with that type of motor, there's always a chance. And I think the defensive stuff with him, <laughs> as I mentioned that, that it's concerning is mostly just chalked up to inexperience. Yep. Um, I believe that can be totally coached up. And I think as we saw this past season, his feel is coming along quite a bit is evident by his passing. Um, maybe, you know, the pie in the sky, he he's a, a guy who's knocking down threes and he's putting the ball on the floor. Maybe that stuff doesn't all come along. Um, but I think at the very least, there's a like real path to him just being a solid role player 
if nothing else, just through his sheer mobility and, and work ethic and drive. Um, and because that embrace the physicality, I think he could possibly take the load off of Victor in some ways that Vukcevic can't. Completely fair arguments. And listen, I, I, I think Mo is more of a project, to, to, to be honest. I think you For and sure. I have certainly 100%. had that. We, we've had that conversation back and forth, but if you are looking for someone who you're not looking to put a lot of expectations on them, if you're if they're the 44th pick in the draft and you're an organization that isn't building to win a championship next year and you have some time and if you have the developmental resources in place, he could be a fascinating player in two years, right? Uh, in, within the right context. So I, I wouldn't rule that out at all. And I do think... We were talking about it before we started recording. I think, given some of the names that are pulling out of the draft, I think he's, I think he's probably going to go top fifty. I, I don't know yeah, who, yeah, yeah. I don't know where. Someone at this point, I think, is going to take a swing because there just don't look to be too many of those types of swings in the second round on the table at no. this point. So why not? Why not have him on the table? The last two names I wrote down, Max. I don't know if you had any others, but I wrote down you aren't getting a true point guard at this stage in the second round. But if you could get a shifty combo like an Isaiah Wong at this range at like pick 44, maybe they could dance with somebody like that if they wanted to bring in another guard. They didn't target someone like an Amari Bailey or a Marcus Sasser with that 33rd pick or moving up into the first round. And then if you're going wing, old reliable, we we bring him up every single podcast. We're going to keep talking about him. Seth Lundy. Got to get Seth Lundy. You I don't think 44 is too early for him. Here. I really don't. No, not at all. I, I, I think that's completely reasonable. Awesome. So... We're going to take a little bit of a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into the ever-fascinating conversation that is the Charlotte Hornets and number two overall. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. All right, and we are back. So, Maxwell, the Charlotte Hornets, the number two overall pick, one of the most fascinating debates that we can have on the interweb is what do the Hornets do at number two, or what should they do at number two? Is it Scoot Henderson? 
the G League Ignite prodigy point guard that everyone wanted to anoint as the best player in this draft other than Victor Wembanyama in the preseason, even dating back to last draft cycle when he started in some time at Ignite. Everyone's like, holy crap, you have to check this guy out. Forget all the prospects they have on the roster for this year. Forget Jaden Hardy and Dyson Daniels and, and Marjan Beauchamp and, and Michael Foster. you got to watch Scoot Henderson and what he can do. Or do they take the six foot nine wing who had one, one hell of a year at Alabama? Honestly, Maxwell, he played way better than I expected him to. And I get that Corey was high on him dating back to the preseason. I get that he was early in on him, but I did not expect Brandon Miller to be one of the top scorers in the freshman class. I did not expect him to shoot as well as he did from three point range at the volume that he did. I did not expect him to handle some some more defensive responsibility than I initially thought he would out of the gate. Brandon Miller proved to be the, the best two-way option in this draft, in my opinion, not named Victor Wamanyama or Scoot Henderson, and possibly offers the Charlotte Hornets a little bit more flexibility with their roster because they have LaMelo Ball in place, because you want LaMelo Ball handling a lot of the pick-and-roll reps. You want you know, him to soak up a lot of the usage to either find open teammates or you want him to take advantage of his, his one-on-one isolation scoring package from the perimeter. So Brandon Miller could certainly be a release valve secondary creator and potentially grow into a, a primary offensive option and sort of let LaMelo sit back a little bit, maybe not have to worry about as much of the scoring burden. If Brandon Miller becomes who a lot of people are expecting him to become, like a Paul George, even like a Mikhail Bridges and what he's shown in Brooklyn, if Brandon Miller's that guy, I, I get the argument for taking him at number two overall, but I've I've had a different opinion. I'm going to continue to have a different opinion, and I've given those reasons within the column that I referenced early on in this show that I wrote for NoSillingsNBA.com. We also did a little bit of a roundtable in which a few of us spoke about would we take Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller. I've answered that question, Scoot Henderson, and I can still go into some of those reasons again for this, podcast audience but i really want to make this your time to shine maxwell because i i think i know your answer because of conversations that we've had but you haven't really had the chance quite yet to to go in depth as to why you would make the choice i think you're going to make so why don't you dive into this for the audience you are muted Maxwell is still That's weak. a little thing we call building anticipation in the <laughs> podcasting business. All right. That's Come on. Little... And, and if, if we don't have technical difficulties at some point, <laughs> then it's not draft deeper. So, um, yeah. So I, I'm going to scoot here. Uh, okay. I think quite frankly, uh, as a wise man once said, scoot is better at the star player elements of basketball than Brandon Miller. And I think the fact that he's like a decent amount younger than Brandon Miller does matter. Uh, within that context, I know it's not by a lot, um, but he and okay. So here's the thing: let's let's just go kind of point by point. So Brandon Miller, yes, he is a better three point shooter. I think Scoot, because he didn't shoot a high percentage, and because the G League compiles their stats in a mind numbing way, where they separate the season into chunks, so people think he shot 27 percent from three when he shot 33, because they have this thing called the Showcase Cup that happens during the regular season, but is statistically not included in your regular season stats. Uh, people think Scoot's a worse three-point shooter than he is. This guy had like an 11% jump in three, shooting from NBA range. So I'm, I'm a believer in, in Scoot figuring out the jump shot and getting it to a real legitimate place. 
Um, Brandon Miller struggled as a pull-up two-point shooter in college. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think there are ways for him to get better at it because he was so good at pull-up threes. Yep. But when he doesn't have space, he really struggles. Um, and like in the, and he knows that, and that's part of why he played so deep behind the line in college. But when it gets physical, he has a hard time going through his shooting motion and converting. And that's part of why he struggled with the basket too. He just doesn't deal well that well with contact as a scorer, which when you're 20 instead of 19 or 18, it, it matters. Um, I don't see him as that fluid compared to some of those guys that he gets compared to a lot. Yep. I think that he's pretty significantly behind the strength curve. So I think while he will get stronger, he will get more athletic. I don't know that he is ever a true blue NBA superstar with scoot. I think that he's just an athletic dynamo who is able to finish above the rim at the rim at a really high clip has a very strong mid range pull-up game dealt with some injuries this past year. I still buy the shot long-term. I think he's going to buy in a little bit more defensively uh, when he's got more to compete for. I think he's going to be like an all-star level guard and, and I'm just not positive that Brandon Miller has like as many paths to reach that sort of an outcome. I think Brandon Miller has solidified himself in my mind as a prospect who has a, a, a pretty good floor, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of know what I'm going to get. From I love him his as, floor as yeah. a complimentary piece on the wing. But to your point, when it comes to all-star best scorer on the team, being the guy who is either first in command or second in command when it comes to competing for a title. I'm just not sure he's that guy. I, I'm really not. And it's, it's a fascinating conversation to have. I, I know that Corey's referenced a lot of, you know, the types of guys who are getting just an absurd amount of buckets today in the NBA, like Jordan Wara being able to do what he can do in a game. Mikhail Bridges having the stretches that he's had for the Brooklyn Nets. There's one important thing, though, that I do want to mention with those scoring outputs, Maxwell. Were those teams winning those games? And was that basketball that's going to definitively win at a high level when the chips are down, when defenses know what's coming, when they can key in on those specific players? When a defense can key in on someone like Brandon Miller, what do you think happens? I I think you're probably not as prone to the highest level outcome like I am because of a lot of the reasons that you went into the fluidity to me is the big thing. I just, mm-hmm. I don't think he moves like some of these other all-star wings being compared to. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm he's that level you. athlete. That's the, that's the big separator for me. And if you can't, if you can't effectively get by guys, if I don't trust you to create your own shot out of those areas on the floor, you, you call them like the star type shots. If I don't trust you to do those things, why am I prioritizing taking you with the second overall pick? Because that's telling me if Victor Womanyama wasn't in this draft, you're very comfortable taking him number one overall. I'm yeah. not comfortable. I'm not comfortable doing that. I I think I'm Scoot okay. Henderson. I would absolutely if Victor was not in this draft. I I would legitimately take Scoot Henderson with the first overall pick. I'd still sleep soundly at night. I'd sleep like a baby. I I wouldn't think twice about it because it's not just who he is now as a player, which everyone at those ceilings has, has sort of passed around the torch and talked about what Scoot Henderson brings to the table from a maturity standpoint on the floor, right? His decision-making out of pick and roll, his ability to see chess moves ahead, 
more than where his teammates are at, more than where the defense is at in terms of seeing the play unfold before his eyes, before anyone else is figuring out what's going on. We've seen the mid-range shot making. We've seen the developing three-point shooting and how I agree with you. I do think it's going to translate at a much better level than people are expecting. His at-rim finishing is going to keep improving because of how he's built. He's 6'2", but he is built like a bull. And man, that dude, he is going to dish out some type of punishment as well as anything he could possibly take. I I think he's going to win more of those battles than people may think. I think he's going to be able to finish through contact. We we talked about some of the passing elements. I love his point of attack defense when he's locked in. I, I get that there were some moments on tape at Ignite this year, and and even some people who I've interviewed who coached him or played with him, they admitted maybe Scoot was a little bit bored at times this year for Ignite because when you get to a certain point and you have expectations in terms of where you're going to go in the draft and what your stock's looking like, you get to a point where shutting it down is a consideration. You get to a point where maybe I'm trying to focus on doing this to show that I can do this and not as much on one thing. Like these aren't conversations that we technically should be having on the podcast front, but we're at draft. No. Deeper, we're about reality, right? Yeah. At yeah. The end yeah. Of the day. So and I want to say one more thing about, about scoop real quick. Cause I feel like it doesn't get mentioned very often. And it's something that is like very important. He is good at playing off the ball. Yes, he is like this. I, yes. I feel like people only view him as an on ball guard and that's just not because of his size. I think it's because of his size. I think if and he that, was like six, five, it'd be a different story. Yeah, yeah. 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 And like he did operate out of pick and roll a lot. Like that was like 43% of his possessions this year, but like he knows how to play off the ball. And like, yeah, it, if you look at like the synergy possession percentages, it looks like he did nothing but run pick and roll, but like, he is more than comfortable not having the ball in his hands. Like I, and I think that's something that goes understated. And I think that's part of why people have a hard time, like seeing him in the mellow ball or like whatever. And like, it's not an issue. I, I I'm not, I'm not worried about it. And, and the athleticism, honestly, with him is off the charts, Maxwell. Like I, mm-hmm. I think about what would have Scoot Henderson looked like if he was playing in college versus playing in the G league. He'd look but, unreal. Yeah. He would look unreal because those guards, unless he was going up consistently against like fourth, fifth, even sixth year guards who were more physically developed and able to play against someone like him, like the competition he faced on a nightly basis within the G League, a lot of these freshman sophomore guards, they're not built like him. They're, they would not be able to contain him physically. He would be having his way. He would have racked up way more free throw attempts than, than he racked up in, in the Ignite program this year. He'd be living at the line, scoring officially around the basket. And I think his his deception, his <laughs> ability to not only accelerate but decelerate, a lot of what Chuck was talking about when I had him on home and away, how he's able to decelerate into some of those mid-range pull-ups. Wild. It looks fake. Like it doesn't look <laughs> like the way I've ever seen a human being move before. He 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 would have his way in, in a college system to where I, I, I'm sorry. I think he would have had a better year than Brandon Miller in college. And I, I don't think this would be a conversation. I think this is because his numbers didn't look a certain way in the G League because he had some games towards the end of the year where he probably wasn't at 100% maximum effort. But if you go back and you watch the tape of when this guy's locked in, I'm sorry. There, there, to me, there's not another player in, in this class who could compete with Scoot Henderson other than Victor Weminyama when this dude is all locked in. And it's, it's not just that, but the final word I'll say before I toss it back to you, any of your final thoughts, any person you talk to has nothing but the best to say 
about Scoot Henderson. As as I've heard some other people say mm-hmm. on social media this week, his intel is off the freaking charts. And you know what? This, this is a lesson I get to share, a lesson that I learned the hard way during the scouting process. Tyrese Maxey, once upon a time, was very undervalued on my board because I didn't believe in his combo guard nature. I didn't believe in some of the shooting coming around. I didn't buy into what he was going to be on the defensive side of the ball. That's the one concern that I think has ultimately stuck with him at the NBA level. But all the other nits that we could have picked with his offensive game that should have been talked about less and what should have been talked about more was this dude's speed, his athleticism, his ability to just break a game wide open, and most importantly, how hard this dude works and how much he cares about being the best version of himself that he can be. Guess who also has those traits in spades? Scoot Henderson. That to me, that's leader. That's leadership that I want in my building if I'm taking you number two overall. That's not to say that Brandon Miller doesn't have that. That's just something we haven't necessarily heard spoken about in the public circle. So I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to bet on not just the talent, but I'm going to bet on the person that I can get at number two, number two overall with Scoot Henderson. We'll figure out the stuff later with him and LaMelo. But as I've said now multiple times, Maxwell, great players tend to figure out how to play with other great players. And I think the point that you made about him actually knowing how he should operate and play off the ball. I think that is something that needs to be more discussed within this dynamic. I agree. Yeah. So, so is he the pick for Charlotte too? I we're saying, yeah, that's he, he without Great. a doubt. He's the done. Pick for me. All right. So that, so that pick is pretty much out of the way. Is there anybody else you would consider or no out outside of Brandon Miller? No, I, I think okay. at this point, listen, the, the Thompson twins have been a uh, flash in their talent. On social media this week, especially the the Portland Trailblazers video workout videos that have been coming out, I get it. I get if you're fascinated by them. I would not take them number two overall. I'm sorry. I think this is a conversation between Scoot and Brandon Miller. We're both Scoot guys. You can make the Brandon Miller argument. I get it. I understand it. This was one of the teams other than Portland where I said if they got the number two overall pick, I would entertain the Brandon Miller conversation more wholeheartedly. And I am. It's just not where I'm at as an evaluator. So moving on to Charlotte's other pick in the first round, Maxwell pick 27. Who are some of the players you think the Hornets should target at the back end of the first to, to help continue to complement this young core they're building? Yeah, I, I would kind of lean toward like adults in the room is the phrase I've Bingo. used a lot with the Hornets this year. This is a team that could a lot of guys get kind of tangled up in some things off the floor. Um, another guy that we mentioned is like a stellar Intel guy is Olivier Maxence Prosper, which like yes. maybe this is a bit of a reach, but he's a guy I would very much consider here because he does have upside. And I think he's like, I don't want to call him a project because I think that undersells the fact that he's going to be able to like come in and guard everybody and not be out of place physically right away. Um, but he has a lot of developing still left to do. And I think that based on what everybody says about him, he's going to be able to do it. Can, can I tell you something that makes it might mm. make it seem like it's not a reach anymore? On, mm-hmm. on his latest mock draft podcast today, Rafael Barlow mocked him at 18 to the Miami yeah. Heat inside yeah. the top 20. Boy, what, what a spectacular rise from where mm-hmm. he was at a month ago in terms of his stock. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's a really good on, on-ball defender. I'd like to see him be a little more gutsy as far as like what he tries to do as an off-ball sure. defender. 
Um, which is odd. Usually we're talking about, oh gosh, this guy's a gambler. He needs to reel it in. He needs to learn how to play within himself. With Prosper, you almost want to see him go in the opposite direction, right? Like, yep. Um, I think he could be an interesting guy. I think um, if you wanted to go upside, another guy that has like good reports on him is Noah Clowney, which it seems like a lot of people think he's going to go early. But I think if you did want to like roll the dice a little bit, go early. I don't hear reports. anyone talking about him at all, Maxwell. It seems like he's ever since like February, he's kind of fallen off the face of the earth. <laughs> yeah, ESPN had him around 20 today. So he's a guy who I think could still be in that mix. If a Chris Murray is still on the board, and shot, I don't think sure. he gets past Sacramento. I can I'd consider a Colby Jones here, and I'm not the biggest Colby Jones guy, but I think he'd bring a real toughness to this team. Yep. Um, and you, if you, and if you're you, looking you, to move off of Rozier at some point or try to cash in on him, that gives you an option. Um, you've left off one of your favorite players, Max Lewis. No, well, oh, he, he's in, he, he he's is one this, of your favorite players. He's getting mocked in this range, and he's awesome. So if he's there, I'd take him. But who who are you, who are you thinking of? You haven't talked about Ben Shepard. No, I so I have not mentioned Ben Shepard. I w- I would be interested here, um, but they do still have they got an early second too, right? They do. So they have thirty four, and then they also have thirty nine and forty one. Yeah, I'd love him at thirty four. Love okay. him at thirty four. I would not mind them taking him here though to be crystal clear because again it's adult it's an adult in the room it's, i'm, it's I'm at this point 100% mature and he's still only 21 like i don't think people realize like he's because all these seniors and graduates now are 35 years old coming into the draft uh ben shepherd still being 21 is like a real feather in his cap so so can i just say this here and th- this is not to make us sound like we aren't taking this exercise incredibly seriously but i mm-hmm. do think we're in a position where we aren't working for a front office our job technically isn't on the line. We're allowed to be a little bit more imaginative with our boards yeah. in terms of ranking certain players for upside. Mm-hmm. If you're working for a team though, and and you're having legitimate conversations in the war room about what to do with the back end of the first round, I think Ben Shepard needs to be near the forefront of your mm-hmm. conversation. If you're a team with real winning aspirations, making one of those late first round picks, he's got to be on the table because everything about his game, to me, you know, not just what he did at the combine open up eyes, Maxwell, but really going back and watching some of the tape of him at Belmont that, that I didn't get to watch as much of during this draft mm-hmm. cycle because we're 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 at the forefront of the media. We're trying to cover a lot of the guys who we, we know are going to get the buzz and who can go within the top 20, top 25 of the draft. But when you have time in after the NCAA tournament to watch more of these guys, you go back and you watch Shepard and you realize, damn, Maxwell was right. Like I was really missing out when I wasn't watching more mm-hmm. of this guy because he – it, it's not just the catch and shoot. It's not just the movement shooting. This dude's got real juice to him. He can operate yeah. out of the pick and roll. He can be, maybe you don't want to be feeding him a heavy diet of pick and roll, but even as like, he a, can like run a, it, he can yeah. run it. And even as like mm-hmm. a second side action guy, like side pick and rolls, like all, all these fun little ways that you can utilize him. DHOs. He can make live dribble passes. I think is the main point that we would. Yeah. Try to well, I think the one thing he got to show at the combine, which I was, I was glad he got to show. Cause it is a real, he got to get to the rim. He got he got to the rim, yeah. Um, because he's a really good cutter, and he didn't get to show that like at all as a senior. But his junior year, he was he was dicing teams up. Um, he's a really creative passer. Like yes. he will he will throw some ones where you're just like, ooh, all right. Like didn't expect that from a, from a guy that has like this kind of statistical profile. It, he's he's that, not like, an ambidextrous passer, but I think no. with that right hand, he is very creative. I will agree with that. Yeah, so he's a guy that I, I think has a lot more juice than people realize. I would not mind him at all going going to a team especially a team like charlotte where it's like 
get a little bit more shooting, get some maturity and, and a guy that has just like an NBA skill. Uh, adults in the room. I wrote down Marcus Sasser as yeah, a potential pick totally. here. I think he'd fit. And then if we are talking about dice rolls near the end of the first round, if he's still on the board, Derek Whitehead would yeah, totally, could, sure. could possibly yeah. be staring him in the face. And he'd listen once upon a time, I projected him to be much more than, than what he has shown at Duke, what he's unfortunately been able to show because of multiple injuries. Even if this is the guy that he is, right? He, he, he has the potential to be a nuclear shooter from the perimeter with real wing size. At some point, he's, he's going to go. And, and so pick anywhere, I'd say anywhere from 20 to 35. He, you know, teams are going to be open for business on Tariq Whitehead. Mm-hmm. If he's there at 27 and you feel great about the medicals and, and the information you're getting back on him, why not take a shot on him at 27? Mm-hmm. So some second round targets. I mentioned they have picks 34, 39, and 41. I would be absolutely stunned if they made all of those picks. I would expect at least two of those picks to be on the move. I think they would definitely make one. So just some, regardless of what which pick that would be, Maxwell, Second round target. Some of the guys that, that you are really looking at for them that could be good fits in the second round for the Hornets. Yeah, uh, Ben Shepard was one I was going to try and try yep. and hold off on. But to your point, like sometimes guys just get taken, and yep. and then you got to adjust. Uh, we don't know if Jordan Walsh is going to stay in. I think if he's around, he's a guy I'd be really interested <laughs> in. Oh, yep. Um, Bobby Clintman is like all over boards. I have no idea what's going on with him, but he he could potentially be a guy. I'm going to be talking about um, Bobby Clintman coming up here, but uh, Julian Strother. It's a guy I like for them just to get him another another Roll shooter to kind of open up those those driving lanes. Um, again, like same the same kind of line of thinking. I wouldn't mind a Jaime Jaquez. I also wrote him down. Yep. Uh, those those are kind of the first ones that, that sprung out to me. Absolutely, I wrote down Jaime Jaquez. I wrote down Julian Strother. I wrote down Trace Jackson Davis here as well. Again, we we don't know where he's going to go, but if for whatever reason he'd be available in that early second round. I think you absolutely prioritize taking someone like him who, regardless of what your guard situation is looking like, even if LaMelo Ball has to miss some time, you don't take Scoot Henderson, it's down to, you know, Terry Regier, throw other guard here, Brandon Miller. You can have Trace Jackson Davis run some offense for you in the half court, right? He has proven that he's capable of doing that, and he's another guy. Is he a little bit similar to like a P.J. Washington type that they already have on the roster? Maybe, but why not just go get guys who, again, to what we know, they're adults in the room. They're going to play the game the right way. They offer some value, not just scoring the ball, but also making plays for others. Why not target somebody like him? And then I also mentioned Amari Bailey here as well. If they were to introduce another guard into the mix, someone you can certainly take and, and get some upside value on in the second round. All right, we will take another break. When we come back, the Portland Trailblazers are going to be on the call. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At number three overall. All right, and we are back. Maxwell, the Portland Trailblazers, number three overall. We've talked about how we think Scoot Henderson should be the pick at number two overall. There is a very realistic scenario in play that Scoot Henderson does not go number two, that it's going to be Brandon Miller going to Charlotte at number two. And in that case, that would open up the door for Portland to take Scoot Henderson at number three. But they have a player on the roster whose name is Damian Lillard, who also occupies that same positional spot that Scoot Henderson would come in and play. They have Anthony Simons. They have Shaden Sharp. So I think my answer, to be perfectly honest with you, would still be to take Scoot Henderson with a third pick and just figure out whatever. Yeah, you, you take him and you figure it out. So the reason why I say that, and I'm curious to also get your thoughts on Portland's situation as well, but when I wrote my column that I did discussing some of these top lottery situations for NoSillingsNBA.com, I wanted to lay out some trade scenarios around. So if Portland's looking to move off the third pick, if they're looking to bring in potentially another star or star caliber player to pair with Damian Lillard and, and everything else they have going on to try and make a push in the Western conference, what do those deals actually look like? And we've, we've heard some popular trades being, being reported and, and certainly buzzed about one that I wrote about before a lot of people were buzzing about it, which would be, do they open up, the possibility of getting Jalen Brown from the Boston Celtics, given everything, how that played out in Boston, what would that deal look like? So in the scenario that, that I posited, it would be Anthony Simons, Nasir Little, the third pick, and then their 2029 first rounder out the door for Jalen Brown. Now, it's funny when you look at a trade scenario like that, Maxwell, because I think you can mm-hmm. argue it both ways, right? So if you're Boston you're sending Jalen Brown out the door. You can bring in Scoot Henderson, who might be freaking awesome, who we think is going to be freaking awesome in the NBA. But how often do rookies actually help you win a title? And if you're the Boston it's Celtics... pretty scary, yeah. If you're the Boston Celtics, yes, there could be a very bright future with Scoot Henderson and Jason Tatum being your pairing for the long term. But how are you going to talk everyone else in that locker room and in that front office into taking a step or two back to possibly, and again, I say that very nicely, possibly take a massive step forward and certainly not in the short term. Like I, I don't get how that work, how that dynamic works. Yeah. you That's one of the things like you've got to talk to Jason Tatum about it, right? Like you've got <laughs> exactly. to be like, do you mind if we trade for a, a 19 year old, the guy that just made an all NBA team, would you mind if we sent him out of here and bring in a 19 year old? Like, and I this don't year, know. So, so Anthony Simons is great. Answer, Anthony he's really Simons good. I love him. Awesome. Yeah. This year little could be a really fun gadget piece for them to throw out in certain lineups on, on the wings, like a ninth or 10th man. Like, and then you still get another late, you know, you get another first round pick out of it in, in, in 2029. Possibly you got to throw that in there unprotected. But regardless, Jalen Brown is an all NBA player. So you're just yeah. going to, you're going to yeah. toss him out the door for the hope that you're getting the same type of value back in this deal. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not doing it. I don't think that's realistic. I, I really don't. 
unless yeah it's like i feel like with like everything nba related like i'm always like using the caveat of like because i i think one thing that gets overlooked is like these are human beings right like the thing right. that gets overlooked all the time is like the interpersonal dynamics we're like i trade this guy for that guy it's like you know, I, I don't know there's like i maybe i'm a little too like uh, emotional about all this stuff but like you've got there like vibes matter vibes matter a lot and like if if the team still is like i i don't know like unless they really want to push jalen out the door for some reason i don't like, think so i'm not so i, I'm so not I think to part with the a, a guy who brings what he brings on both ends of the floor even if he's not a perfect player i think jalen brown's getting the super max i think the deal's going to be on the table i think he's probably going to sign it the only scenario in which I would explore a trade like this is if Jalen Brown was like vehemently telling you, like, I don't want to be here. I'm done. Yeah, I yeah, want to yeah, roll yeah. somewhere else. That to me is the only scenario. And so e even if you're Portland, right, even if Boston agrees to this deal and you send all of this stuff out the door to get Jalen Brown and it's Damian Lillard and Jalen Brown, where is that honestly getting you in the scheme of the Western Conference to win a championship? Like, like being being realistic. I, I get Jalen Brown's an awesome player. We just made the argument for if you're Boston, you don't want to trade that guy away. So if you can get him, you'd think that'd be great. But where where's where's the depth outside of that coming in? So Damian Lillard's been hobbled the last few years, right? Yusuf Nurkic hasn't always been the most reliable player from a health standpoint these last few years either. You're getting Jalen Brown to be your type of support on the wing, but then you're asking Shane Sharp to do a lot in his second year. We don't know fully what's going to happen with that forward spot. We think Jeremy Grant's going to be back, but like, what else do they do in terms of the depth of that forward spot? Because otherwise they're looking at some young guys like Trent and Watford, uh, Jabari Walker to come in and fill. Like, like, I don't understand where that team necessarily goes in the Western Conference either if they make a deal like that for Jalen Brown. So that's the flip yep. side as well. So, and, and and really, that flip side, you can make that argument for any other trades I posited, like DeMar DeRozan from the Chicago Bulls. Like, I honestly, I think to, to actually pull off that trade in terms of what you have to give out for salary, I think you're giving up too much for DeMar DeRozan. I really do. The Toronto Raptors, OG Ananobi, I think you'd be giving up too much in that deal, given what he was reportedly worth and what you'd have to give them in terms of draft compensation, as well as the salaries going out. For, for Paul George, the... This was a fascinating trade. So I put Simons, Sharp, Nurkic, the third overall pick, and then that 2029 future first for Paul George and he beats the Zubots. So that gives you some depth in the front line. That gives you the star wing that you want. But then you're trading your other two long-term backcourt pieces on top of the ability to take someone at three and then a future first. So even then, I still think too much is walking out the door and and I got some comments on social media when I put some of these trades out there about you really need to reevaluate what how how you're re, how you're evaluating these assets, right? And like what what are these assets really worth to you in comparison to how they're actually being discussed with, with NBA teams? Look, at the end of the day, you have to give up something to get something back. So you look at these trade scenarios, they're actually probably decently spot on in terms of the type of value that NBA teams would be looking for for these star caliber wings, because guess what? Star caliber wings are what every single team in the NBA wants, and you're not giving one up unless you're getting one hell of a return, regardless of their age, regardless of their contract, regardless of where they're at in their careers. You got to give up a haul to bring one of these guys in, and just given where the Trailblazers are, with even with Dame in the mix, I just don't see any of these options being viable, which is ultimately why I would just keep the third overall pick take it and, and make it the floor is yours Maxwell with what you would do yeah I'm 
I'm probably just drafting Brandon Miller. <laughs> I, I think Brandon Miller is really good. I love the fit with Shaden Sharp. I think that some of the stuff defensively, especially in terms of his awareness, is something that a lot of their younger pieces don't really have, at least the ones that are like actually playing like, yep. like a Shaden Sharp and like an Anthony Simon. So I, I'm just taking him here. I, I, I know that I mentioned that I'm a little bit lower on some of those higher-end outcomes. I would really consider a man Thompson here if I could could get him in the gym and just see what the shot looks so like. I was, I, I so really I was just going to say, so what if Brandon Miller is not available? And what if it's Scoot Henderson and some of the other options you could Then I'd go three? Scoot. If Scoot's there, I'm taking Scoot. Um, okay. Because like I said, I, I think he's like my favorite star bet of, of the guys that aren't Victor in this class. Um, but I would really think about a Thompson. And, and this is something that we've been talking about recently is I've gone back and I've watched some of those international games that OTE played prior yep. to the start of the season. And he just looks so much more engaged in terms of how he's playing basketball. When he's playing those pro teams, he's moving without the ball on offense. He's giving effort at the point of attack. He's actually in a defensive stance. It was like a lot of times at OTE, he'd just be way too upright and kind of be like, I'm just going to recover and block the shot. And like yep. over there, like he just, he, when he plays engaged, he's so much more enticing that like, if I got him in the gym and I thought like there is a sliver of a chance that that jumper gets there, I'd really consider him at three if I'm Portland. You, you've been making me rethink the Thompson twins this week, Maxwell. I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. lie. You, yeah. you, you were, but that's, that's some of the fun that you and I have in these conversations. We get to, to bounce different ideas back and forth off of each other. Yeah. I, I could see it. Yeah. I, I, I think at the end of the day, you're, you're keeping that pick. You're making it in our scenario. It would be Brandon Miller. I think the trailblazers would, would absolutely love if Brandon Miller was still there. They would absolutely love to take him. Seems, seems like the, the Thompson twins workouts, went really well so maybe there's some interest there maybe portland is looking to trade down if somebody else wants to trade up for scoot henderson maybe they'd be content with taking one of the thompson twins we don't know there's plenty of time for that stuff to be figured out but regardless i would certainly agree i think any of those pairings would be fascinating so we get to targets at 23 for the Portland Trailblazers. I have a few names that I wrote down. I'm I'm actually really curious. Yeah, leave the charge here. Down. Cause I oh I, I wanted you to leave the charge because you seemed kind of fired up. So I was I was I was like, all right, who who are the three guys? James um, Nagy's my favorite, my favorite target yeah, for the so Trailblazers. I've I don't want to say even like lower on James Nagy, but like sell me on James Nagy because he's 30 for me right now. And I feel like I'm kind of lower on him than the rest of the crew. And it's like I see I see a good big man, I see a play finisher. I see someone with some real good defensive instincts, but I can't like get over the hump with James Nashi. So like what is it? Is it because is you, you kind of know, you know who he is and you know what you're getting and you kind of just yeah. want to swing higher. Is that he's yeah. High? Like he's, he's a little boring for me. We're like, even like TJD, I have TJD like one spot higher and it's like with TJD, like I know he's older. I know like he's never gotten better at shooting. Like, there's some odd like kind of hiccup stuff there. He's, he's a little back to the basket heavy, but like he's got real juice as a passer. He might not have the same size as Najee, but like, I don't know. I, I, I he's not going to bring the same level of versatility defensively that Najee has, but it's just like, at least he's got like a different kind of juice to him with Najee. It's like, I, I understand the defense is really good. It just feels like the offense as good as it is. And like, I love how strong he finishes at the rim. Like he goes up, like he's going to rip the rim off the basket. Yeah. Um, I think so. What the, else? The, like the what else? I guess the and thing. then I think the other, 
question that I had about him was the motor. And then going back and actually watching more of the tape back, I think those questions were answered. I actually think he has a great motor. And I think when you combined his size, seven foot, 250 pounds with how he can run the floor, how hard he plays, you mentioned the defensive versatility, which is awesome. I'm, I, I sure as hell think he's going to come in and, and be able to get, you know, per 40 minutes, I think he can get up, up close to double-digit rebounds right away in his rookie season. I think he's going to be that level of rebounder. You, you talked about how he finishes, how aggressive he is, you know, throwing down dunks, looking to finish over anyone and everything. I think he's going to end up developing a post game. That's not something he's going to have early on in the NBA. I actually think he's going to get there because I think he can carve out space on the block. I think all he really needs to do is figure out the timing in the post and how to go about operating and, and conducting some of those moves. But I think because of how he carves out space, because of how he can box guys out, leverage his physicality on the block, I think that's going to be something that eventually comes around for him. And if you do think it can come around, if there's a possibility, don't you kind of want him learning from someone like Yusuf Nurkic, one of the best low block scorers we have in the NBA? So I think just based on the understudy fit and given that they just need more size in the building period with his athleticism, I would be much more inclined if I'm Portland to take a swing on someone like James Nagy at 23 versus some of the other teams that could have been in that position. That That's what does it for me. It's not so that I'm making a pitch to you like you need to have him higher on your board. I just think the fit makes a lot yeah. of sense to look at him at 23. Yeah, and I, I think they could use that kind of defender too. Like I, I think it makes sense from that standpoint. You you gave me a side eye. You don't you don't think he's gonna ever get a post game? Uh I'm or, or, little... or is it that you just wouldn't ask him to develop that? No, I, I think he should. I like I think it's important for his development. I I just don't think he's like super coordinated with the ball at this point. Is that um, just because he's 18 years old though? Still gonna be 18 on draft night. He just doesn't know <laughs> fully what the hell he's doing yet. <laughs> uh possibly, but I feel like you can generally see like a bit more polish in a big man's feet pretty early, even if they're like a little raw. Um, okay. Like I, I feel like he just looks a little awkward on that end. Okay. Um, and like, he's a poor free throw shooter too, which again, like not a good indicator. A lot of touch. guys, I but, get like, it. Yep. but not even that just like, is he a guy that's going to be like a hack a blank target at the end of games where like, it's just teams are going to foul him. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm. I don't really buy the touch at all. If it's not a dunk, which, again, like it's not. It's not going to be what he's asked to do. But I just don't see like, a lot of upside avenues for him offensively, and I think that just holds me back a little bit. Sure. Um, I think he's going to be super effective. Like I think he's going to be an NBA pro for a long time, which is why I have him in the first. Like I feel good guaranteeing him money. I'm just not the most excited to do it. Okay, that that's fair. You would go. You would go other directions at 23. Can I tell you the the other two names I wrote down? Yeah, go for him. Let's do it. You talked about one of them already in OMP, right? So Prosper would be fascinating at 23. And then for, for a lot of the reasons that you said, and then this this is where I whipped out the sweet freak in Bobby Clintman. I think Bobby Clintman, why, why isn't Portland one of the teams potentially, you know, we, we, we think he has a promise somewhere. That's where some of the breadcrumbs have led us down to. We don't know that for a fact, but along that line of thinking, if there's a promise out there, why couldn't Portland? possibly be one of those promises because doesn't he kind of check a lot of the boxes that they need they need yeah. more size they need defensive versatility anywhere they can get it and this is a team that is going to operate in a heavy pick and spread pick and roll offense they need guys who can knock down open perimeter shots and then bobby clinton didn't do a lot at wake forest this year but 
in the games where he did show out, that's literally what he was doing. He was effective in, in defense. He was running the floor in transition, and he was hitting open spot-up shots. So if if that's the type of player he can be in the NBA at his size with his athletic tools, why why not take a swing on him at 23? I think it's I think it's more reasonable than people would have thought a little while ago. I think my thing with Clintman is there's just too many other guys that are projected in the same range that I feel like I've seen a little bit more can out do. Of. Yep. At a higher level, like Which Leonard is Miller is like 23 on the ESPN board right now. You like, know what? If Leonard Miller's still Leonard on the board Miller at 23, here. we've done something wrong. I've, I've gotten to that mm-hmm. conclusion. I th- really think we would have done him a disservice, but nevertheless, we're going off ranges. So yeah. And if, and if they want to do the, like, we're a serious team that's competing thing, I think a Chris Murray makes some yeah. sense here. Um, he's another guy I think could, you could reasonably consider. Um, I, I love Max Lewis still. Like I can't, I can't quit the guy. I know that that's like another wing on this team, but like, especially guy, a guy that struggled defensively, but I have a really hard time passing on his upside at a certain point. It's just like a, a, a guy who can get to his spots and just drill threes and like everyone that I've ever talked to. So I interviewed Max Lewis, loved the yep. character, love how humble he was. I've talked to a lot of people that have seen him up close during the pre-draft process and they are all raving about how good his shot looks. And it was when I interviewed Lorenzo Romar, that was the first thing he mentioned about him is how good his shot looks. Like I think the end of the year is an aberration. And I think the fact that he was like a 44% catch and shoot three point shooter is not a coincidence. I think he is like that real of a deal as a shooter. And when we have a guy who can shoot like that and move like he does, that's somebody you want in your system. I just, I just can't get over the fact that he's going to be available in that range. Like wild. I, I don't get it. So but. I don't have him as a lottery pick but I do have him as a top 20 guy. Yeah. So part of how I do my board is like based on like, where can I get him? Like, it's yeah. not like strictly like who do I think is better. Part of it is like, well, if I can just get Max Lewis at 18, as opposed to 15, I'll put him 18. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I've lowered him a little bit, like just kind of on that basis. But yeah, I, I, at some point though, you, you, you get, Lewis. you get to a certain pick where you just can't get someone with his tools and his no. upside. No, no, so if he's there, oh, absolutely. You you take Max Lewis and you, you run to the podium and and you're feeling great about it. I'm operating off the fact that I don't I didn't think he was going to be there, which is why I didn't write him down. But absolutely, if you're Portland and you need wings, go, go get Max Lewis if he's there. And I get that he might not be on the same timeline that you would want him to be on. But he's one of those players. If you give him a year or two to start, you know, figuring some stuff out and you have him on the right developmental path, the rewards that you could start reaping could be absolutely ridiculous. That's that's mm-hmm. the type of upside that he has when he throws it all together. Pick 43 for the Trailblazers. I wrote down I wrote down Nikola Jurisic, right? So if Jurisic is still in this draft, I think he's he's an inventive wing who I could actually see fitting in somewhere like Portland because Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons can play off the ball. So if you're having someone like Jurisic come in and run some secondary actions, maybe even play a little bit of high pick and roll because he's been doing that overseas for mega. And you, you have some of the shooters in the backcourt to operate off of somebody like that. I get that the offense from a scoring standpoint, isn't there yet. And he hasn't proven he can shoot the ball for a lick, but at 43, if we're talking about upside plays, you can make in that range. Why not somebody like Jurisic? Uh, Kobe Brown is someone I wrote down sure. out of Missouri. Yeah. He he would fit perfectly at the combo forward spot from a shooting perspective. And then a player who 
he's going to be in the draft. I, I honestly didn't know if he was going to be in the draft, but now we know he's in the game wrecker as Rucker calls him, Andre Jackson Jr. Why, why not throw Andre Jackson in the mix He'd for the fun. Portland Trailblazers? Yeah. Who are some of yeah. the guys you wrote down? Um, so a lot of the guys that I had in this range, I, I kind of went more with like the, they're, I feel like they're very convinced that they are a competitive team still. So I went with like Jaime Jaquez, Julian Strother. I, so here's kind of my one upside swing. That's a little bit of a deviation from a few of the guys that we talked about. What about Dylan Jones with this? Play? I love it. I love it. Did I didn't we, write did it down, but I love connection it. with Lillard. Um, but a guy who I just think has like real clear upside. Like this guy was, you know, the big knock on him. There's two. Uh, so he, he measured it like six, four and a half, but like six, 11 wingspans. Like he's got pro size. Definitely has pro strength because he averaged like over 10 rebounds a game last two seasons. Um, big knocks on him for me personally were athleticism and mobility. He is in stellar shape, uh, was like actively making plays and passing lanes and just making guys pay for lazy stuff at the combine. And the second would be his three point percentage, but he got so few unguarded looks and he has real NBA range. Like you can watch those super state games from this year, last year, whatever, like he can hit from NBA distance, really smart playmaker, really tough driver when he's getting downhill, like the guy I kind of compared him to before the show was, I almost think he's this year's Kenneth Lofton, like different build, but just like one of those guys who's like hyper productive from a smaller school and then gets into shape. And then it's like, well, yeah, now he's cooking, he's cooking with gas and like, same thing. Killed it at elite camp, got the invite to the big combine, looked right at home on that kind of a floor. I'd really consider Dylan Jones in this range. Knows how to freaking play the game the right way. Mm-hmm. For for all the reasons I just talked about with Jurisic in terms of, you know, running some secondary actions, maybe playing a little bit out of the high pick and roll. Dylan Jones hasn't proven he's a high-level shooter from the three-point line in that regard, but the guy's got the guy's got junk inside the arc, man, especially in the painted area with some of his floaters that he can throw up, the pace at which he plays at, his understanding of where guys are at in the court at all times. Yeah, I, I think Damon Lillard would love to have someone like him coming off the bench and, and supporting their offense. Absolutely. I'm kind of I'm kind of jealous. I, I didn't write him down. I, I really should have because I've I've become a Dylan Jones fan. I I I have a f- very draftable grade on him. I I don't know if he's gonna go within the top 50 picks. I think there's a great argument for it. I think Portland would make a lot of sense at 43. So the last team, Maxwell, that we're gonna talk about close out this podcast i know there's a lot of houston rockets fans who listen to no ceilings they've supported us the last few draft cycles i'm very thankful for rockets fans out there they're they're one of the more passionate fan bases that we can find on social media and and with the houston rockets comes decisions at number four overall so what the hell should houston do with the fourth overall pick, if all of Victor Wemanyama, Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, they're all gone. All the players that Houston was hoping to be able to take with a top three pick. What do they do at number four? It seems like you're very, you're much more confident today with what you think they should do than what you might've been even a week ago. If you're the Houston Rockets, you have the 20th pick available you have plenty of cap space you're going to be able to mess around with in free agency. Given those types of options, do, do you let 
those possibilities dictate what you do with the fourth pick? Do you just take BPA? Like what, what would you do with the fourth pick if you're Houston? Yeah, I, I'm still at a point where I'm not convinced I have a franchise guy. And when I'm in that predicament, my mindset is always that you try to go get that franchise guy. Um, and that is why I want to swing at a Ben Thompson here. Cause okay. I think of the guys left, he probably has the highest upside. Um, it all has to click and that's, that's where it gets tricky. Um, because if he doesn't shoot, like I said, like Shea Gildas Alexander is way ahead of him as a pull-up scorer at this point in his career. It's a real concern. Um, but I think with Ime Udoka as a head coach, like this is a guy that has a rep for keeping guys accountable. And I think in a situation where a man has to play engaged off the ball, where he has to key in defensively and where he has to put in the work to get a shot going, there's a world where like he develops, he puts on strength, he gets stronger. He can make Jalen Green's life easier. Um, is somebody who gets into the paint, sets the table more often, and then takes a tougher assignment on defense. He gets penetration to open up Jabari Smith and Tari Eason on the perimeters. Um, some two-man game stuff you can do with Shingun. I I think he's really, really interesting. And I think that at this point, it's just, you got to do it. You got to do it. You, you don't have a franchise player. You you believe that you have a legitimate NBA, like high-end head coach, like take just take the guy. I'm I've been I've been back and forth between him and Asar at this point with four overall. If you are if you are definitely bringing in James Harden, I understand the argument for Cam Whitmore as well. Like I I get it completely, but at the same time, when we're conducting an exercise like this, we can't make those assumptions wholeheartedly, right? Like we can't definitively say James Harden's coming here. What do we do with the fourth pick? We have to operate like. This is a wide open situation. They need to take the best player available. Who do you go with? And between both the Thompson twins, you made a great case for a man. I think if you're telling me that a man Thompson is going to be the off ball, a man Thompson, like you were talking about in some of those international games, that's the guy you're getting on a consistent basis. Who can play off Shen Goon, who can offer the, the same level of rim pressure that a Jalen Green can. You're telling me you have two of those guys next to each other in the backcourt, just absolutely putting defenses in a bind for years to come. And then you have Alper and Shen Goon at the top of the court making decisions off what both those guys are doing. That is a lot of havoc you can wreak at, at one time. And then given a men's creativity as a passer, what he can possibly open up for everyone else on the floor with him. The two-man game with Shengun, like you talked about, I, I I get it. You know who else can possibly do all those things and maybe even shoot the ball a little bit better? Asura Thompson can. And that's I, – I get where you're coming from. I get where a lot of people are coming from. A man has, at the end of the day, the highest ceiling between the two of them if everything works out. I just – I'm kind of in the camp that I, I think Asar is a, a better basketball player. I, I really do. I, I've watched enough of the overtime elite tape back. I've observed him in different decisions that he's had to make. I've observed him in situations where he's had to bring the ball at the floor and, and make the right passes, make the skip passes, make the 
you know, the, the, the pocket passes out of a pick and roll situation, how he's able to find his brother open, how his brother's able to find him open, what he can do off the ball, the, the, the shooting leap that he took from one season to another, how he's been the, the MVP of that overtime elite league, right? If we're going to take it seriously as an evaluation tool, then why are we not rewarding the guy who actually earned that honor in that league and played up to that level on a more consistent basis when he was there in a sore Thompson to me, I think at the end of the day, they're going to go with a man. And I think, you know, absolute, I have to make a decision. If my job's on the line, you probably do take the swing for the fences pick, but I would also be looking at a sword very carefully. And I would not rule him out for that selection either, because if you believe in Shen Goon running a lot of the offense like Houston finally let him do last year. And when they did that offense really took off in some regards. And if you believe in Jalen green, taking a leap as not even just the, a guy who you trust more to bring the ball up the court, but also to make decisions in the half court, then you kind of should also look for a high level guard who can play off of those guys as much as he could possibly play on the ball. And to me, Again, unless you're getting a hyperactive version of a man who's cutting all over the place and, and really making defenses think because of how he can move without the basketball, then why not take the guy who, in my opinion, does have the better jump shot? I get the percentages weren't quite as high as we would would have wanted them to be in that league, but I buy the shooting mechanics. I do think the touch is going to be there for him in the long term from the perimeter. But to that argument about touch... You also have the guy in Amen Thompson who converted on a ridiculous number of his transition finishes, who was a more consistent finisher around the basket, who's shown a little bit of the floater game. And even though he didn't have the results from three-point range, the pull-up jump shot overall was, I think, actually a little bit better than we've given him credit for. So it's it's tricky. I think I would also go Amen, but I think the conversation should be more wide open for Asar than it is. And he has been the player who I've actually had ranked higher on my board for a lot of the process. I think that's fair. I think the other thing that I think it's worth mentioning with the men is like, and we've talked about this before, like there's a chance the rookie year is real ugly because teams is. are not going to guard him at all in the perimeter. And like his handle, I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like a lot of the ardent immense supporters can be a little dismissive of some of the issues with like his handle in his passing. Like sometimes the past place inside I was there and his handle can get really wide and can get really loose. And yep. I'm, I'm hoping because like I said, like going back, watching some of these international games, he does keep a tighter leash on it. I'm hoping it was just a function of him, like not necessarily goofing off, but like knowing the competition that he's playing with overtime elite and just trying to do as much stuff as he can just to workshop it. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I, I see the argument for SR. Um, I, I just don't think he's the same caliber finisher that I think, I, yeah, are there outcomes where he's a better pro? For sure, but I, I just really don't think the same upside is there. I, I just don't think he's as quick on the draw in terms of how he plays the game. I think his athleticism is like a small step behind. Um, yeah, I, I just like a men better. It's it's going to come down to the wire that conversation between both the Thompson twins, depending on what happens with the third pick, with the fourth pick. Do some of these teams move down? Does anybody move up? It's going to be a fascinating conversation to monitor. But you and I. For the sake of this podcast, can stand in agreement. I think we would ultimately go with a men Thompson there. Although I would entertain a sore, I would also entertain Cam Whitmore as other options that we can throw into that discussion. 
pick number 20. You've mentioned a few names that I actually would certainly have in conversation here if I were the Rockets, like Max Lewis, the guy who yeah. just brought up for Portland. Why the hell wouldn't he be in play for a team like Houston, who they they kind of need help everywhere on the wing? They I don't think they have their definitive three-man of the future. Are, are we sure Tari Eason is that player, or is he better off as a four-man? I think he's better as a four, yeah. I, I think so as well. We don't definitively have that answer yet, but let's assume that he is better as a four-man and he's splitting time with Jabari Smith at that position. Then you have Shen Goon at the five. You have Jay Shantae. You have KJ Martin. You have some of these other options at the three, but if you're looking for either depth at that position or another long-term piece, I think Max Lewis as well as CD Sissoko should absolutely be in play for Houston. You're skipping over your guy. Which, the Valley. It's like still consistently mocked in this range. Maxwell, Maxwell, if he's still, again, if he's at pick 20, we, we have done something catastrophically wrong mm-hmm. in the draft community. That, that, that's just how I feel. And I know, I know I, you've yeah, been watching some of the recent tape. I've been watching some of these playoff games. I've actually been able to catch them live for the most part, dude, what he's doing in these playoff games, given where he was at just like three months ago, not even like the beginning of the season where he was at even three months ago compared to where he's at now, if you're a team in the late lottery with real winning aspirations, who is looking for a fun upside play, but someone who also knows what they're doing on the floor on both sides and can find ways to contribute and fill in around other stars, you need to be looking at Bilal Koulibaly. If, if you're mm-hmm. If you're the Thunder, if you're the Raptors and you keep everything together, if you're the freaking New Orleans Pelicans, you're any of these teams, you got to be looking at Bilal Koulibaly. And even if he were to slide past those teams, you have Atlanta at 15. And then I think if he was still there for Utah at 16, I I can't think of a, a world a world in which they pass on Bilal if he's still there at 16. Anything can happen. He's still being mocked in the late first round. I get it. That wasn't that wasn't a uh, a very argumentative stance towards you, my friend. That was more so just the draft community at large. If Bilal Koulibaly is on the board at 20, we have done something wrong. But nevertheless, go ahead. The floor is yours. My apologies. Have uh, going so, around. Yeah, so just real quick, Coleman Hawkins going back to U of I, uh, which as I mentioned, okay. he, was, he, was a, he was a combine riser for me, so I'm a little surprised there. But So uh, so Jeff Goodman threw out there that he had a, a, a very lucrative NAL offer on the table thrown at him at the last minute that he had to consider. Guess he took the money. All right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other yeah, news updates? So, uh, th- that was like the big one. That's like okay. the only only real interesting one. Um, yeah, so I, I'm with you on Kula Valley there. I do think it would be there too. So the like two other needs that, that jump out to me. Um, one is this is still like a really poor three-point shooting team, but I think a lot of that is just their youth. Like I don't doubt Jabari Smith is a shooter long-term. I think Jalen Green is a better three-point shooter than he's gotten to show. Yep. Um, the other real issue that they have is just lack of size at the center position, um, which kind of stinks, right? Because like there's not a clear cut five that's like I'm willing to take in this range, as I mentioned with Najee. Um, so part of me does wonder, and I know that like I'm mentioning this positional size issue, but I think it could be worthwhile to like go after a shooter here. So if like a Hawkins is here, if a Jet Howard is here, if a Bryce Sensabaugh is here. 
Um, those are all guys that I think just mm -hmm. from what they could bring is from a floor spacing perspective might be worth taking a look at. The, yeah. So you, you mentioned the center position. I, I do think that given the pro day stuff, Derek Lively is going to be gone. Well, like yep. two, two weeks ago, that would have been a name that we could have thrown in the, thrown in the ring there at pick 20. I think he's going to be gone. I agree with you about some of those shooters you brought up. One other name again, after the pro day stuff, we talked about him earlier on, probably not going to last as long, but if he's there, Jalen hood, if you're looking to shore up that guard spot, you know, throw in an, an interesting upside play. Why not look at somebody like him at pick 20, but a lot of fascinating options. Maxwell, we have gone through every single team in the lottery. We've given them options at their respective lottery picks, as well as all of their other selections within the draft. Any final thoughts on this exercise and how we're looking at the lottery as a whole right now before we move on to some other fun podcasts we have cooking up in the near future no i mean this has been a really fun exercise and it's one of those things that makes you really evaluate your board right because there's so yeah. often that we talk about these teams and we're like well i like this player here i don't like this player here and it's like well if you're not comfortable taking this player here why are you ranking them you know seventh eighth ninth on your board if you don't think that they fit with the teams that are picking that range is that a bigger indictment of the player then maybe you think, is it, does it go beyond just, they're not the best structural fit with that roster. Is there something that's severely flawed with that player that makes it seem like they're going to need a really particular fit and should you be lower on them as a result? So for me as an evaluator, I think it's been really instructive and, and helpful and fun. And I'm, I'm glad that the people have enjoyed it and we're getting fans of teams, you know, letting us know what they think. And it, it's been a good time. Yeah. These podcasts have been performing off the charts for our no ceilings NBA feed. So we thank you everyone tuning in for the support in allowing us to do episodes like this and certainly spice up the conversation a little bit. We appreciate all of you as fans out there. And if you want to show no ceilings, more support, boy, do I have the way for you. You mm -hmm. can purchase the 2023 no ceilings NBA draft guide, which listen for, for nine 99 to me, if you're a fan of the draft, if you want to learn more about the prospects coming in, if you're a fan of one of these teams who's looking at potential targets for each of these respective picks, like we've been doing in these podcast episodes, you're going to learn everything you need to know from our draft guide. We have write-ups on our top 60 players. We have awesome charts. We have graphics. We have pros and cons. We have prospect chemistries in terms of players that these guys mm -hmm. remind us of per current pros or, or pros of old. We have everything you need to know about these players coming in and all of the feedback we've received on the draft guide has been tremendous. Everyone who's purchased it, all the feedback's been great. They have not regretted their purchase. So what's stopping you as a fan of no ceilings from going out there and making that purchase? Maxwell, what, what's your favorite part of the draft guide package that you yeah. can get if you make the purchase? So, so my favorite thing about the draft guide this year is that it's, it basically has twice as much content as the one yeah. that we put out last year. And it's the same price. Um, but I think the biggest thing that we're all proud of is there's more written content and there's more like data in it. Yeah. So my favorite thing about it is that I've, I've had a lot of people that are friends, family, they follow the draft. They're not like total psychos about it. Like we are, it has something for everybody. If you were just like surface level, I just want to know who these guys are, read a couple paragraphs and call it a day. That's great. It's, it's if in you're there, more yep. into the analytics side of things and like you want to like, pursue a more thorough deep dive and realize like, where does this guy take his shots? How do they rank out in their pick and roll playmaking possessions compared to their peers? That's in there too. 
Yep. So like whatever kind of experience you want to get out of a draft guide, if you want to go really deep into it, you can. If you just want to read the surface level baseline stuff, see who guys are compared to, you can do that too. It's it's for everybody. And I think that's what uh, something that really gives me a lot of pride about our site as a whole is that we are approachable, but it's very thorough. And, and I think that's what the draft guide offers as well. Absolutely. F- fantastically explained by, by my guy, Maxwell. Please, no ceilings that no ceilings mba.bigcartel.com. Go ahead, purchase the draft guide. We also got some awesome merch that we launched alongside the draft guide as well. I promise I will be picking up some of that sweet merch for myself. I'm, I'm going to need a new hoodie coming up in the winter. We got a new snapback release that, that's on there. We got some awesome shirts. We got the draft guide cover on a shirt or a sweatshirt. That's sweet, sweet draft guide cover. Shout out to Cortel, but he did an incredible job working with some people to, to create that cover design. So yes, please check out everything we got going again. No songs, NBA.bigcartel.com. Go check it all out. If you want to support us on the written front, no songs, NBA.com. You can find all of our written content Monday through Friday. We have some awesome collaboration pieces coming up. We have some final deep dives on some of the top players in the draft coming up. We will be sure to have a final big board and mock draft before the draft on June 22nd. So stay tuned. No songs, NBA.com for all that content. And last but not least, the podcast feed if you're listening to this show make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcast apple podcast spotify youtube for our show draft deeper as well as all the other amazing shows that we have on this feed we have both of the tylers for double trouble we got deep dives with nick Ager johnson we have the draft act with Corey tulliba and albert gim we have home and away where we bring on guests from outside of the no ceilings collective to open up conversations about scouting basketball in the world at large make sure you tune in for all this wonderful content you can find me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. You can find Maxwell on Twitter at Boundboards, and you can find No Ceilings at No Ceilings NBA. That's all for this week. Until we meet again on this podcast feed, thank you all for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.